I call it nine. And we're going to look at three of the nine. It's only three verses, and yet I was going to tell you, I think I might have bit off more than I can chew. I don't know if we're going to be able to fit it all in. So if you're a notes person, we may not get through all of them this morning. I'm going to try my best, um, but we better get started right away. So I'm going to pray, and we'll just dig right in. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have your words, Jesus' words recorded in the scriptures, and that they're available, that we can read them at any moment. And this morning, as we look at this, this really deep and profound sermon um, by the greatest speaker of all time, Jesus, I pray that you would just speak to us, that you would meet us right where we need you to meet us, that you would cut through any hurt or, or brokenness or hard-heartedness, and that you would just, just minister to us. I just pray this in Jesus' name. So the Sermon on the Mount, if you guys aren't familiar with that, is basically in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is the full recording of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's a sermon that Jesus did, super popular. starts with this, this, um, this portion called the Beatitudes. Beatitudes is a Latin word. It means like deep blessings or, or statements of blessings. It was a very common um, Jewish rabbinical teaching style to use that kind of this kind of format where you would say blessed are those something for they will right the blessed are for they will you see some of the psalms are like that psalm one is like that james has a portion where he talks about that but 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 this is a latin term i I was talking about this with some guys at work and they said okay so it's be attitudes it's like the attitude you have when you're just being i'm like no it's latin you can't you can't do that to that word, right? But so it's just this cool thing. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, 3 through 10, we'll read all 8 or 9, depending on how you look at it, this morning. And then we're going to focus really on 3. Brittany shared with us the first 3, and we're going to look at 4, 5, and 6 today. But we'll read them all. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 10. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we call these the Beatitudes or the blessings, because obviously everything's it's a blessed are you, right? Um, the, 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 the word, the actual Greek word that Matthew first wrote, the original autograph uh, Matthew wrote in Greek, was this word makarios, makarios. It's, it doesn't translate very well into English, right? There's not a one-for-one one, uh, a, a credit of this makarios to English. There's no one word that we have that really can capture what makarios means, but probably the best word is blessed, or blessed, right? Other translations in the past have used happy, 
but, but, but we don't really, it, those are very abstract thoughts. So some of the other uh, ideas, sometimes in our culture we say this. I've, I've heard John Key say this to people, like, you, you're rich. You're very rich. And he's not talking about financially. He's talking about maybe you have a lot of friends or maybe you have other things. They're like, we, like blessings. He goes, you're rich because of those things. You're Makarios. Another way you might put it is like sometimes in the Bible it'll, it'll talk about it like flourishing, like human flourishing. Like in Psalm 1 it says, blessed is the man and who, who doesn't walk in the, in the way that they shouldn't walk and doesn't spend time with people that they shouldn't spend time with and doesn't become the type of person who they shouldn't become for they are like a tree that's planted by a stream, right? This tree that's tran- planted by the stream actually flourishes. Makarios. So that's the idea he's saying Makarios. And if you think about it, it's very practical in this sense that everybody tries to find Makarios in their life. We all try to find meaning or we all try to find a, a, a blessing. We try to find happiness. We try to find this thing. We search for it. We spend money on it. We give effort towards trying to Makarios ourselves, right? And yet Jesus makes this profound list of ways that we can actually find this. Now, it's a, it's a very common rabbinical style to say, blessed are, for they will. Like the blessed are statements here, uh, there's something that you do that, that makes you blessed, and then there's a reward, for they will, right? That's very common. But what's uncommon in Jesus' list is that they're the v- most unlikely things, right? Blessed are you when you're persecuted, right? Blessed are you when you're poor in spirit. Blessed are you when you mourn. These things are not things, they're countercultural, or they're counterintuitive. And now the other thing, when you look at these, this text, you'll notice that they're very abstract. These are very abstract, and what I mean by that is they're incredibly deep statements. They're, 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 they're statements that deal with, like, the heart and the soul, the very deep places, right? Um, I'll give you an example of something that would be more concrete. Something that would be more concrete if you were from the deep south uh, of the Bible Belt and you were heading off to school, your mom or your grandma, might, might, and you're a young boy, might say something like this. Okay, son. Hey, Johnny, right? Don't, this, is what, this, is, this is my rules. Don't drink. And don't cuss and don't chew and don't go with girls who do, right? That was a common thing, right? And so it's a, that's a very concrete list of, of examples of things that you shouldn't do. But the deeper meaning is you might say it like this. I don't want to drink or cuss or chew because when I do that, I know myself. And what happens is I end, I end, up, I end up drifting away from God. Those things drift me away from God. And my deepest desire is to be close to God. And so I don't want to do those things because my deeper desire is to be close to God. So you would say, blessed are you when you desire to be close to God so much that you would be willing to let go of some things, right? For you will be blessed. That's a deeper, that's the level. And so what ends up happening is when you look at commentaries or you hear sermons about these beatitudes, there's a really wide variety of opinions, right? They, they all kind of have these, a lot of different applications. And, and, I, and I've, as I've looked at these and I've kind of thought about this, and I don't know if I'm right, but I don't think that it's that, that any, one of them is wrong and one of them is right. I think it, what, what, pe- what these theologians are doing is they're, 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 they're measuring this against their society, against their culture, and they're coming up with 
with, with deep application from these deep beatitudes that, that reflect their day. In other words, they say, I see how the world, the people of this world, and my own tendency is to chase after and, and to hunger after the things of this world and, and as opposed to the things of the kingdom. And I see how that destroys. And so he's saying, no, seek after these deeper kingdom-type things. And so the big idea, I would say, for this series is that the pursuit of anything but God Will, resu- will result in anything but blessedness, makarios. I'll say that again. The pursuit of anything but God will result in anything but this true, deep blessedness that God is, Jesus is talking about. So in review, last week we looked at a, the first three. I'll just kind of give you a, a, a review of them. The first one is this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's very deep. When I weigh that against myself, if I put my, when I read that, what, what comes to, to application for me in my life is this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I look at it like this. When I try to validate myself, or when I try to find my worth in the things of this world, like, like accomplishments, if I could just accomplish that, if I could just do that one thing, I would have this makarios. I would be, I'd be fulfilled. I'd be satisfied. Or, or how I look, right? Or, or what people think about me as a people pleaser. That's very relevant for me. What people think about me or who respects me or who doesn't. All of these things, when I try to, when I try to find my worth in those things, it never works. But when I lay those down and I, and, and I become poor in spirit in that sense, and I, and I seek to find my validation in God alone, what do I gain? I don't gain the world. I gain the kingdom. That's what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will gain the kingdom, the things of the kingdom. And he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, there's two possible ways I would look at this. When I try to comfort myself, when I try to comfort myself, and I do that in lots of ways. Sometimes I numb myself. When I, when I need comfort, I just numb myself. I, or I distract myself. Or sometimes, let's be honest, I treat myself. Right? You know, like, you're, you're having a hard day, right? And what do you do? You go get your nails did. Right? That's what I do. Right? Or you go to a big tub of red licorice. Right? And, and we go to these things to try to comfort ourselves. And he's saying, when you, when you do, if I do that, when I try to comfort myself with the things of this world, it doesn't really work. It's not lasting. It's temporal. And yet, when I, when I just mourn, when I deal with it, when I deal with it and I invite God into it, then I'm comforted. I experience the comfort of the Lord in those moments. It's something deeper. It's very practical. And he says, the other, the other way might be when you say blessed are those who mourn, you might say blessed of those who, who, don't, do, who don't skate over their sin, who deal with their sin, who, 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 who feel bad about their sin, who, 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 don't, who, who mourn over their sin. Blessed are those who mourn over their sin. And, and you get this idea that when, when I try to cover up my sin, or I try to move past it or ignore it, I end up just withering away. That's actually David's experience. He talks about this testimony in Psalm 32. 
you read Psalm 32, he says, when I, when I hid my sin from God, I withered away. And yet when I repent, when I go to the Lord I, 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 and, I, and I just confess my sin, he comes and he has mercy on me and I find true comfort. I don't, I'm not hiding it. I deal with it with the Lord and I experience that. That could be a possible application. And then he says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. See, when I try to assert myself, make it happen, take what's mine, when I do that, right, I, I, I can even feel like, like if, I'm, if I'm good at it, I might feel like I'm, I'm, I'm gaining the world, I'm inheriting the world, or I'm, 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 I'm taking the world, I'm taking uh, my, my piece of the pie. But the reality is when I do that in this world, it actually takes hold of me become a slave to that which I feel like I need and I have to have it and it and it, it has its grip on me but when I when I lay that down when I lay that down and I'm meek and I wait on the Lord and I say I'm not going to I'm not going to go out and find my own inheritance I'm going to wait on the on the plan that the Lord has for me, on the inheritance that the Lord has for me. When he says you'll inherit the earth, you'll inherit the land, it's a very Jewish Old Testament idea of taking the portion that God gives to you. When I do that, I actually find peace. That's what it says in Isaiah 26. Those who wait on the Lord will find peace. And he's saying that those who are meek, those who are meek, for they shall inherit the portion that God has for them. And so today we're going to look at three newer ones, three, number four, five, and six. Uh, just three verses, but they're pretty deep. And the first thing I would say as we prepare to read it is this. Ask yourself this. Think, think about this. What are you most hungry for? What are you most hungry for in this life? What are what are what do you strive after? What do you want the most? And so he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. My first my first question would would be this. Do you underestimate your appetite? Do you underestimate your appetite? How many of you guys have ever heard this or experienced this wisdom? You might, you might say this to someone, they're going to go grocery shopping, and you say, don't go grocery shopping when you're hungry. Is that good advice? Why? Because you're going to walk out with like a tub of red licorice that you don't need, right? Because when you're hungry, you, 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 you buy things you, should, you wouldn't have bought if you, were, if you were full. Don't go shopping when you're hungry. Or how about this? How many of you guys are sitting next to someone right now? Don't raise your hand, but you can just kind of look at me and give me the wink, right? That gets hangry. You guys know what hangry is? Hangry is when you get so hungry that it affects your attitude and you almost, you're, you're acting angry, right? And, and Snickers has bought off on this. They're the, they have a commercial campaign, right? It's the one guy and he's, he's reenacting the uh, old Marilyn Monroe, you know, with her dress thing and he's all grumpy right and it's like whoa he's like in a dress right and then he eats a snickers and it turns back into Marilyn Monroe right it's almost like it changes who you are when you're hangry right because your appetite has a has more of a grip on you than you realize 
And your appetite's not just your hunger, but it's, 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 it's even deeper. The biblical idea of your appetite is the things that you desire, the things that you go after, the things that you're passionate about. These are all hungers, the things that you want so bad. So James, Jesus' little brother, writes this book, and he, and he has this profound, he, he sh- if you ever write a book, you should, you should consult James on what the title should be. What do you think he called it? He called it James, right? And so James chapter 1, verses 12 and 15, listen to the way he constructs this. It's very similar to the Beatitudes. He goes like this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test of, uh, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted, listen to this, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. What he's saying is that we have these desires, these, we hunger for things. And when we, and when we go after them, right, we, like we do, when we, when, we, when we follow the world's advice, right, just do what you want. Just do what you want to do. Do whatever makes you happy. Follow your heart. Most of the time when you follow your heart, you have to realize, no, your appetite sounds a lot like your heart when you're hangry, right? You, you, it's hard. You, Jeremiah goes like this, like, who could, who could understand the heart, right? It's desperately wicked. Who could understand it, right? You don't follow your heart. You follow Jesus. Sometimes you got you to gotta be, but you gotta, if, if you're going to do that, you got to know what are you hungry for. You got to pay attention to your appetites. You might say it like this. Sin always promises to bless you, right? Sin promises to bless you, and it never does. It, always, it never keeps its promises. And now what Jesus is saying, he's saying, no, that this is something deeper, it's counterintuitive, but it's actually where blessing is found, in saying no to some of your appetites, and hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So what does it mean, now that we, we, we have this idea of, 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 of hungering and thirsting, how, how do we hunger for righteousness? How do we hunger for righteousness? So, you have to know this to understand possibly what Jesus is saying to try to dig into this. In the Bible, this word righteousness is used in two different ways. It, it's used in one way, which is called covenant righteousness. And it's used in another way that's called imputed righteousness. So covenant righteousness would be when we say, I want to do what is right in the Lord's eyes. I want to do what's pleasing to God. I'm in this relationship with God, this covenant with God, and, and I want to keep my part by doing and by obeying him. Covenant righteousness is about obedience to what God says is right and wrong, right? As opposed to imputed righteousness, that's, that's the idea that, that we on our own cannot do anything perfect. We're not right. We can't earn God's love. And so Jesus dies on a cross our sin and shame are nailed to the cross. They're imputed to him, and his righteousness is imputed to us. It's not something that we earn or deserve. It's based on what he does. That's imputed righteousness. I think both could be uh, uh, kind of dug into with this idea of hunger and thirst for righteousness, but I think the better application is covenant righteousness. He's saying 
Hunger and thirst for covenant righteousness. Hunger and thirst to do what is pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. As we're reading through the kings, you'll see that. That the, that the, that the kings in, in Israel's day, in the monarchy of Israel, they, they were judged by one criteria. Did they do what was right in the eyes of the Lord? Or did they not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord? It's covenant righteousness. I believe he's saying hunger and thirst for this covenant righteousness to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, in Isaiah 26, verse 8, it's one of my favorite verses. This Old Testament prophet Isaiah says it like this. He goes, in the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. I'm going to unpack that for a second. In the path of of your judgment, O Lord. What he's saying is, is that you alone, God, are the judge. You're the one that can determine what's absolute truth. You're the one who we look to to know what's right and what's wrong. In the path of your judgments, in this path where you have, 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 have determined what we should and shouldn't do, you said this is what's pleasing to you. In the path of your judgment, walking as a person who's trying to do what's right, you could say. We wait for you. That's what he says. And then he, he, he ends like this for, with the reason why he does that. Because your name and remembrance are the desire of our souls. God's name is who he is, and his remembrance is that everybody would know who he is. He's saying the desire of my soul is to know who you are, to know you, and to make you known to others, to have other people know you. That's the desire of his heart. That's a hungers and thirst for righteousness type idea. What do you hunger for? What do you chase after? And, and so the last question would be this. Are you hungry for God? Are you hungry for God? In Psalm 42, 11, it goes like this. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. I mean, imagine that picture. You got a deer, and he's, he's been running all day, and he's hot, and, he's, and he finds this stream, right? You ever, you ever been out, like, working really hard, and it's hot, and it's humid, and then, and then someone shows up with some water? Like, the amount that you desire that water in that moment is the amount that he desires God. Psalm 63, 1, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirst for you my flesh faints for you and in a dry and weary land where there is no water in jeremiah 15 he goes like this he goes your words were found and i ate them imagine like finding a page um, of the bible right here and going you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna eat it that's what he's saying he's saying your words i uh, when i ate them and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart for i am called by your name Another prophet, Ezekiel, had an experience like this. God goes, hey, um, Ezekiel, write down everything I'm telling you to write down on this scroll. So he writes down all of God's words, and then God, like Mr. Miyagi from Karate Kid, goes, okay, now eat it. He, goes, he, he takes a scroll, and he's probably looking at like, if he could find God anywhere. He's like, wait, did you say eat it? Right? And what is he expecting that it's going to taste like? Like a scroll. And he says, I ate it, and it tasted in my mouth like honey. It's counterintuitive. It's not what he expected. He's making this point through these prophets that though 
Though, though the world entices us with other things that promise blessing, no, to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord is better. It's wiser. Are you hungry for God? In Isaiah 55, says this profound thing. He goes, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk with money, without money and without price. And then he asked this, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to, to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Why do we chase after the things of this world as if they're going to satisfy? And that's what Jesus is saying. He is no blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Not Snickers satisfies, Jesus satisfies. So the pursuit of anything but God will result in anything but blessedness. And the next one is this. I would ask this question to, to start out with. How do you see, how do you see and then therefore treat people? That's what he's going to deal with, I believe. How do, you, how do you see people? How do you treat people? How do you see people and therefore treat people? And, and he says it like this. He goes, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Are you merciful? I would ask this. Are you, are you still in awe that, that you've been forgiven? I mean, the fact that God forgives us of our sin is crazy, Right? The fact that we get imputed righteousness is crazy. But have you forgotten? Are you, have you lost the awe of the fact that you're forgiven? We talk about this a lot in Luke 7. There's this story where this, this Jesus is eating with these Pharisees, and they're like the pastors. or the, They're the ones that are supposed to be doing everything right. And then this, this girl comes in. She's like a party girl. She sleeps around, and the Pharisees are judging her. And Jesus welcomes her because she's, over her sin she's confessing her sin she's 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 coming to god for mercy she's not coming to god saying look at me I, look how great i am she's like look what a mess i am and you're the you're my only hope and yet here he's eating with these pharisees that think they're all that on their own right and, and he says in essence he goes this woman came to me and he goes she's been forgiven much and therefore she loves much when you lose the awe of the fact that you have been forgiven, it leads to an entitlement. It leads to a hard-heartedness. You lose the thanksgiving. And you no longer can see people the way Jesus sees people, which is with through the lens of mercy. Do you think the best of people? Do you think the best of people? In other words, are you judgmental? When you look at people, do you go, but by the grace of God, there go I. Are you merciful? When someone's a, I mean, think about this. If we're going to get honest, most of us could go like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I could wrap my head around this. I'm talking about like when you're in a hurry trying to go to work, you're late to somewhere or you're hangry and somebody is driving crazy and they cut you off. And, and do you normally go, what a jerk? Or do you go like, do you think the best of people? Do you go like, you know what? Maybe his wife is pregnant and they're having complications and they're on the way to the hospital. Good luck. Which one do you do? Do you, do you think the best of people? Or are you jaded, right? Are you kind towards people? Do you look at people 
with a kindness? Or do you have a hard time forgiving others? And this is deep waters, right? These are abstract, deep things. But do you have, do you, do you, do you have a hard time forgiving others? Many people do. On your own, I, I wrote down Micah 7, 18 through 19. If that's you, I, I encourage you today, take some time and read that, the way that God is merciful towards us. And you'll see that he experiences, like when something bad, when we do bad things, he does get angry. It, it hurts him. He gets frustrated. But it doesn't last. He works through it with us. This idea of forgiveness is not never getting mad or never getting upset. It's being willing to deal with it. And then the, 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 the third one we're going to deal with is this. What are your truest motives? What are your truest motives? And he says it like this. He goes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Very abstract. Blessed are the pure in heart. What does that look like? Thankfully, there's a lot of references in the scriptures about pure in heart. So let's dig deep and stay close to the scriptures and not try to figure out what this means to us. What does this mean scripturally? The first one is this, I think. Do you have beef with God? I mean, don't, don't act like, like, like you never have, right? If you're like a serious Jesus follower, there will become times when you're going to not understand what God is doing and you're going to have beef with God. It's normal. It's actually healthy. In the Psalms, we see that sometimes, and, 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 and in Habakkuk and a lot of these books, we see that sometimes people ha- end up having beef with God, but, they, but what do you do with it when you have beef with God? In, in Psalm 73 is a great commentary about this. It starts off like this. He goes, Psalm 73, 1, he goes, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Right? Blessed are the pure in heart. He says in Psalm 73. Now, the interesting thing, if you read Psalm 73, verses 2 through 20, he's, he's being honest with him, your, him, you. He's, he's just being raw and real like sometimes we need to be. And he's saying, all these things are happening in my life. They do not make sense. And he's asking profound questions that we should all be not be afraid to ask. Like, why is there suffering in the world? I see so much suffering. Why, God? He has beef with God. Why are good things happening to these bad people and bad things happening to good people? It makes no sense to me. He's just crying out. And, 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 and then at the end, he determines. He determines something. Because he deals with his beef with God, because he wants to have a pure heart, and he's, and he's conflicted. So he goes to God, and he realizes in the end, I don't have answers to why God allows these things to happen. So i got to focus on who God is, not why these things are happening. And then he, 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 tells, he tells you what happens in the change in his attitude when he becomes pure in heart this way. In verses 21 through 28, he goes, When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and, and, and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Now, that's not like modern day. We call someone a beast, and that's a good thing, like a real good basketball player. That guy's a beast. This is old school, Old Testament. Beast is bad. I was like a beast towards you. He goes, nevertheless, I am continually with you. you hold, when I go through hard times, at least you're with me. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Are we starting to feel like Beatitudes here, right? My flesh and my heart may fail. You ever experienced that? 
but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful, right? Eventually things will work out. But, but for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of your works. See, when you have beef with God, when you don't deal with these things, it's not that he's far from you, it's that you turn from him. And, and he, so he goes, blessed are those, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. If you, have, if you have business with God that you need to deal with, you need to deal with it. Because it affects your closeness, your intimacy with God. Blessed are those who, when they have beef with God, they deal with it. What about this one? Is your conscience clean? Is your conscience clean? Now, if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, you'll see this. When Adam and Eve, when the original sin happens, they, 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 they give a dialogue, they, a narrative that looks like this. They sin, immediately they're hit with their conscience. They feel bad. They feel guilty. And they, and they describe it like this. God comes looking for them, and it says, when, when you, when I, after I ate the fruit, I realized I was naked, and I hid from you, God. When we sin against God and we don't deal with it, it causes us naturally to want to hide from God. We need to deal with it. In Hebrews chapter 9 of 14, it goes like this. It goes, how much more is the remedy? How much more with the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? Now, interesting like this, just because you don't feel bad when you sin, that's not, that's not a clean conscience. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, it says like this, you can actually have a seared conscience, and then you're not pure in heart. You can have a seared conscience, and that, ha- that works out like this. Like when you continue to, in your sin and you start to justify it, it starts to become normal to you. You no longer feel guilty. You have a seared conscience, or you have a hard heart. And that will keep you from intimacy with God. This idea of seeing God or being close to God. You need to deal with your sin. You need to deal with your questions. Doubts are okay. It's okay to have doubts. It's where you take them. It's what you do with them. If you never have doubts, I would suggest you're apathetic in your faith. You're not wrestling with the realities of this hard life. So the bottom line is, and we'll have the worship team come back up, is this. Do you desire to see God? Do you desire to see God? Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4, he goes like this. He goes, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who will be near God? Who can go to where God is? And who shall stand in his holy place? Who will see him? It says, he who has a clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false or an idol and does not swear deceitfully. The opposite of desiring to see God is chasing after idols. That's what he's saying. He's saying the, the people who, who can be close to God, those who don't go after idols, they don't chase after the things of this world. They don't pick the world over God. It's blessed are those who desire to see God for they will find him. Isaiah 26, 13, 
Isaiah's talking about this, 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 this attitude change in his life. He goes, O Lord, our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us. What's he saying in practical terms? Like, I've hungered for other things. I've chased after other things. I've tried to validate myself with other things. I thought I needed other things. I pursued other things. I spent, I, 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 I went to the store and I purchased other things. I hungered for other things. I chased other things. I did everything for other things. He goes, but, but your name alone we bring to remembrance. You're all that matters. You're what I desire. So the idea of these middle beatitudes, I would suggest, is this. The pursuit of anything but God will result in anything but blessedness. Are you, are you pursuing God with all of your heart and soul and mind? Because it's in that pursuit that you'll find Makarios. As we prepare for worship, musical worship, part of my Lent experience has been I've been reading uh, a Lenten devotion by this guy. Uh, I don't know if I'll pronounce his name right. I think it's Walter Brugman. Walter Brugman, theologian. I read his commentary on the Psalms and really enjoyed it. And so he, he, I found out he had a Lenten uh, 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 a book. And if you, if you ever want one, maybe next year, get Walter Brugman. It's super good. At the end of every day, he gives a prayer. This was the prayer uh, on Wednesday, and I decided it was so profound. I wanted to, I wanted to close by, 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 by joining with you guys in prayer, praying this prayer. He says this. Let's pray. He says to God, You have ordained a new order in which the first are last and the last are first. Turn us away from the false values of the world that we may pursue your priorities and that which makes you happy. Steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. 